Well, good morning, church, wherever you are. Often at this time, I like to say, it's good to see you, but uh, can't say that this morning. So let me just say, I miss seeing you, and I look forward to seeing you again. Fred Carpenter leads Mars Hill Ministry in Houston, and he recently wrote these words. The world is gripped by the spread of COVID-19. Normal daily life has been put on pause. The consequences have thrown the global economy in a tailspin. Major news channels work feverishly to provide us with the latest updates 24-7. Health organizations around the world are racing to find a cure at the cost of billions. Then he quotes some stats on the percentage of people who might get infected with the virus and the percentage of those people who might die from that infection. He then continues, there is another disease that has infected all of humankind, a disease that ends in certain death for all, and apart from the gospel results in eternal death. It is the spiritual disease of sin. The story of the Bible is the story of a personal God who entered a world infected with this disease. He lived among sick people. He wore no protective mask. He did not practice social distancing. He breathed our air, ate our food, touched our bodies, and felt our pain. And then, to secure for us the cure to this deadly disease, he gave his life in our place. Are we racing to get the cure for sin, the gospel, to a dying world with as much fervor as health organizations are racing to find a cure for COVID-19? People everywhere are being confronted with their mortality. Many who do not know where they are going when they die are gripped with fear. This is a great opportunity for Christians to step up and with gentleness and respect give a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, those words by Fred Carpenter both challenge me and convict me, frankly. There is a disease worse than COVID-19 that infects all mankind and lasts for all eternity, and this is the worst disease of all. And this is a bracing reminder of the urgency to reach lost people with more boldness, more compassion, more readiness to share than, than we've ever had before. And if I feel that challenge and conviction, perhaps many of you feel that way too. And may God help us. This morning we come to a passage in Acts 8 where Philip is sharing the good news with the Samaritans, the age-old enemies of the Jews. And a revival has broken out in Samaria. And now God is sending him way to the south to share the gospel with an Ethiopian government leader. Watch what God does. Our passage begins in Acts 8, verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. 
And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Samaria. Church, this is God's holy word. Philip is leading a revival in Samaria when God calls him to leave there and to travel all the way to Gaza, a desert strip down the Mediterranean coast. No doubt, Philip is uh, disappointed to leave the exciting revival going on in Samaria, all the conversions, the healings, the miracles. But God says to him, leave all of this and go down to the desert to speak to one man, and that's your next assignment. And God says, leave, and that's exactly what Philip does. God says it, Philip obeys it. Now, often in life, we may not understand all that God does because he is the incomprehensible God. As we just sang, he is so great. However, understanding can wait, but obedience cannot wait. Disciples obey no matter what. Sometimes when you are reading the Bible, you need to consult a map. And you can find maps in the backs of your Bibles, most Bibles, or you can find them online. This map on your screens is from the ESV Study Bible. Find Jerusalem, if you would, about in the middle of the map. And... Philip starts there, and he goes north to the city of Samaria, where a revival breaks out. And now God calls him to go way south, past Jerusalem, way over to the Mediterranean coast, to Gaza, about 60 miles 
from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Philip does not know why God is calling him from Samaria or what God plans for him in Gaza, but God calls and Philip obeys. Philip is available to God. Now, back when we first met Philip in Acts 6, he was one of the deacons helping with the ministry to the widows in Jerusalem. And then the next scene, he is leading a revival in Samaria, and now he is all alone out in the desert assigned to speak to one man there, and he does not know what this is going to mean. But Philip goes because he is available to God. Now, in our passage today, we're going to see five principles about the kind of people God uses. And the first characteristic is right here. Number one, God uses people who obey Him no matter what, who are available to Him no matter what. God delights to use people who who obey Him and are available to Him. Their perspective is this, whatever you want, Lord, nothing is too big or too small. It only matters what God wants. If God says it, that settles it, and I obey it. <coughs> God is not looking so much for, avail- for ability, but for availability. Now, let me ask you, church, are you available for whatever God has for you? Or are you particularly during this COVID-19 crisis when there's so much heartache, pain, and anxiety, are you available for whatever he has. Lord, whatever you want, I am your servant. Anytime, any place, anywhere, anything. Lord, is there someone that I can love today? Is there someone I can bless today? Is there someone that I can reach out to today? Church, it has been so encouraging to hear about uh, many examples of the way you are reaching out into your neighbors. Um, This past week, you may have seen on Instagram or Facebook about the Gabriel's family just south of our church in Northampton. They had the idea that they would take their pickup down to the store and fill up the back of the pickup with cases of water. And apparently, they had to go to several stores to do this. And then they went to their neighborhood, and they penned notes on those cases of water, inviting them to our services. And uh, they would take the cases and leave them on the front porch and then take off. They said they had a blast, and no doubt uh, people were encouraged by this simple act of love. And so I know many of you, in all kinds of ways, are available and obedient to whatever God has for you. Now, let's see what Philip does and what happens to him as he begins his journey. Verse 27, and he rose... And he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this man was African. He was from Ethiopia. He was an important government official to the queen. He had charge of the entire treasury. So he was a highly trusted man. This man would have had wealth, power, and prestige. He would be educated. But we also see that this man had a hunger for God because at the end of 27, we read that he had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
Now, to travel from the Ethiopia of that day to Jerusalem by chariot and back would take several months. But he had gone there for worship because of his heart for God. God was drawing this man. Now, can I remind you this morning that all of his wealth, power, prestige, and position did not satisfy the emptiness in his heart? It never does. We are made by God in his image, and we can only be satisfied by God himself. It was Oswald Chambers who said, there is only one being who can satisfy the last aching abyss of the human heart, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there is an emptiness in your heart, then know that only Jesus Christ can fill that void. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, then that would be your next step. Right now, you can breathe a prayer inviting Christ to come and save you. And he will. He will. Just right now. Jesus, come and save me. And he'll do it. Or perhaps, church, at some point in the past, you've already trusted Christ. But maybe for some of you, you have left your first love someplace along the road. And now you are living for yourself. And if that is the case then you too are experiencing that emptiness of life. Come back to him with all your heart. Surrender your whole life to him. There is only one being who can satisfy the last aching abyss of the human heart, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I can so well remember in high school, being a senior in high school, restless of soul, seeking purpose and various philosophy and, and, and protest during the 60s movement and, and reading Mahatma Gandhi and people like that. And uh, little did I know that God was at work drawing me to himself, just like he is at work in the heart of this Ethiopian, drawing him to himself. And perhaps God is drawing you right now. And if so, do not resist him any longer. Say yes to Jesus, and he will save you. So Philip has arrived in Gaza. And I can imagine Philip is standing on the side of the road where the Ethiopian is going to come by in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. And in verse 29, we read, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now, God uses people who are filled with the Spirit. We've seen this all through the book of Acts, and we see it here. And this is the second of the five truths about the kind of people God uses. First of all, we saw that God uses people who obey Him no matter what. Secondly, we see that God uses people who are led by the Spirit. That is, people who are filled with the Spirit, who are empty of self, full of the Spirit, who are, who are dependent upon the power, the guidance, the wisdom, the leadings of the Spirit. And so I ask you this morning, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you dependent upon the Spirit, whatever He calls you to do? Now, now think about, church, during this season of the COVID-19 crisis, think about Ephesians 2.10. It says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Now, that's amazing. God prepared good works in eternity past for you and me to walk in during this COVID-19 crisis. There are some people that God has for us to bless this week. For people that God has for us to love, to reach out to, to pray for. So let's make sure we are surrendered to the Spirit and are following His promptings. So Philip immediately obeys the Lord. He runs, not walks, to the chariot. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Now Philip boldly engages this man about spiritual things by asking a simple question. And this is the third truth about the kind of people God uses. God uses people who boldly engage others about spiritual things. Now, I don't mean that we should be rude, obnoxious, or socially awkward. But we must boldly engage people about the, about the gospel, just like Philip does here, just like Jesus does throughout his ministry. Now, many of us are not so great at this, and that certainly includes me. Most of us need to be on the lookout and boldly in, engage others more. You know, part of my struggle that I have found as a pastor is that I need to be around non-Christians more. When I was a young man and running competitively, I was around lots of non-Christian runners. And then we had children uh, growing up involved with sports. We were around a lot of non-Christian parents. But now, without competitive running, without children in sports, I find it a lot more difficult as a pastor. But no excuse. I need to find ways to get around lost people and then boldly engage them. Now, during this season of time, I realize it is especially hard for all of us to get around anybody during this crisis, during the social isolation. But maybe it means more time outside, more time in your front yard. Maybe it means more time in prayer walks around your neighborhood, uh, whatever God leads you to do. Now, in addition to uh, being around non-Christians, uh, that uh, asking the question assumes listening. And that's what we've been saying with BLESS acronym, the L, listen. Ask questions so you can listen. Now, another way to engage people during this Easter week is simply our Easter Evite online. You can access the digital Evite on our Trust God, Love People page on our website, perhaps God would have you send that Evite to a few people in your life. So picture this scene. Philip is standing on the isolated desert road. A chariot is approaching. And there is an important looking man riding up in that chariot. And this man, this Ethiopian, has no idea that God is about to change his eternity. Moreover, Philip has no idea of what God is about to do in that man. And generally, it's that way with us. We have no idea what God is doing in the lives of people around us, people on our street, people in our workplace. But we can be sure that God is drawing people to himself. And so we must be alert to his promptings because God has prepared good works in advance 
for us to walk in. Who, who knows what God is doing right now with the people in our top five or the people who are in our street, people in our workplace. So, verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? He's engaging him. And the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this response shows great humility on the part of the man. How can I understand unless somebody shows me what he's talking about? Now, the passage that he reads is found in the book of Isaiah. And we see it here in verse 32 of Acts 8. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, this is a prophecy from Isaiah 53 about the coming Messiah who will die on a cross as the Lamb of God. The sacrificed Lamb of God who would die for our sins. Now, church, there is no better place in the Old Testament Scripture than the book of Isaiah to read the gospel. And there is no better place in the book of Isaiah than Isaiah 53 to read the gospel. And in the providence of God, that is exactly the place where this Ethiopian was reading. And so, in verse 35, we read, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And he could do that because the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, points to Jesus. He is the theme of Scripture. In verse 35, that brief verse I just read, there are not one but two more characteristics, the last two characteristics of the kind of people God uses. First, number four, God uses people who know the Scriptures. Philip knew the Scriptures and how they pointed to Jesus. So when he had opportunity, he was ready, like in 1 Peter 3.15. In your heart's honor, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always ready, always ready. Now, for this fourth principle, God uses people to know the Scriptures. There is a caution here. Let me caution you. You might, and probably will, hear the lie of Satan, oh, you don't know the Bible well enough to share the gospel. You've got to study the Bible a lot more first. Church, that's a lie. A brand new Christian can share the gospel. Just learn a few basic scriptures or even where to find them in the Bible. For example, really, three key scriptures is all you need to know. Either learn them or know where to find them. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, those three, three scriptures tell us the problem, our sin, the solution, Christ died on the cross for our sin in his love for us. And the third one, Acts 16.31, says what we need to do is to trust to believe, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the scriptures have power, spiritual power. And so God uses people who know and love and treasure the word of God. Okay, fifth principle. Also in that verse, God uses people who talk about Jesus. Isn't that what we see of Philip in 35? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, church, let me remind you, whatever your conversation is about, ultimately, we need to get that conversation to Jesus if we are going to engage in spiritual things. Don't let the conversation just stay on a problem in that person's life, but get to the solution that involves Jesus. Also, don't let the question, the conversation focus on just some question such as evolution or suffering in the world or, or what about homosexuality. Uh, get the conversation to Jesus if we're going to get the gospel to them. And so let's get it to Jesus. Now, you might need to say, I don't know the answer to that one. You don't have to pretend you have all the answers. Nobody does. But uh, you, we, we, you can tell them what you do know and what you have experienced, the, the, the wonder, the grace, and the love of Jesus Christ in your life and what Jesus Christ did in history, living a perfect life, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, being seen by eyewitnesses. Point to Jesus. Okay, while Philip is talking to the Ethiopian, he apparently tells him about baptism, a, a, a first step after you trust Christ as Savior. Look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So during the conversation, the Ethiopian apparently trusts Jesus as Savior. He hears about Jesus and he puts his faith in him. I don't know if he prayed a prayer or just he just trusted him. He opened his heart. Um, and, and, and so when they came to water and he had heard about baptism, uh, he exclaims, look. And maybe he's surprised because they're in a desert. Look, there's some water. Let, 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 let me get baptized. And verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, last week we also saw baptism because the Samaritans were coming to faith and getting baptized. And we saw then that there, were, there are no unbaptized believers in the New Testament. So if you have not yet been baptized, then by all means get baptized. We are planning to do a baptism when we start meeting again. Not sure when that's going to be, of course. But let me encourage you, go ahead and sign up. Get on the list to be baptized. Just send an email to the address coming on your screen, baptism at woodsedge.org. Now, last couple of verses. Verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Apparently, the Spirit of God carries Philip away to the next city he's headed to. We can only assume that the Ethiopian will never see him again until heaven, but his whole eternity is changed because Philip was available to God 
and obeyed the promptings of the Spirit. I mean, how big is that? And this Ethiopian goes on his way rejoicing because he'd experienced the forgiveness and the life and the love of Jesus Christ. Now, again, that joy did not come because of his wealth, power, prestige, or position, but because only Jesus Christ in his life. Several centuries later, there was another African by the name Augustine who prayed this prayer to Jesus after Jesus had rescued him. He said, in my wounded heart, I saw your splendor and it dazzled me. And that's just too good. And that's what the Ethiopian had experienced. In, in my wounded heart, I saw your splendor and it dazzled me. And I hope this morning that you have been dazzled and that you are dazzled by the splendor of Jesus. And then the final verse simply ends in verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Church, this week, did you see the story about the Italian doctor who considered himself to be an atheist and he comes to Christ. His name was Dr. Lulian Urban Lorenzo from Lombardia up in northern Italy. He had been uh, tirelessly treating COVID-19 patients along with his fellow doctors. And he said, what we have seen and done in our hospital during the past three weeks has been nothing but a nightmare. And he and his fellow doctors had been atheists. He said, I used to look at my parents in church and mock them. And then this 38-year-old physician was struck by an encounter with a dying priest who was struggling to breathe. And this young doctor said he watched this priest as he would take the Bible and read Scripture to other patients who were suffering from the coronavirus. And eventually the priest died. And after he died, Lorenzo recalled how much peace he received from watching this priest. And, he, and, and the doctor said, he, the priest, helped give us the peace that we never expected in just nine days when all hope was shattered. And then the physician concluded, I will live like that priest until my last breath for others. I am happy to have returned to my God when my loved ones were suffering and dying around me. Now, what a simple story. Here is a 75-year-old priest struggling to breathe, dying of the coronavirus, who exemplifies in some way all five of those principles that we just saw. Number one, God uses people who obey Him and who are available to Him. Secondly, God uses people who are led by the Spirit. No doubt this priest is led by the Spirit. Thirdly, God uses people who boldly engage others in spiritual things, just as this priest was doing. Four, God uses people who know the Scriptures. He was reading the Scriptures to them. And five, God uses people who talk about Jesus. Five truths of the people God uses. Now, church, as we close, let me simply ask this. What is God saying to you this morning? Ask him, ask him. Maybe one of these five particularly pierces your heart. Or maybe something else in the passage. But ask the Lord 
what he is saying to you this morning. Take a few moments of silent prayer, and then I will lead us. First of all, church, if you're, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that is, if you're here with us online and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can do so right now. Simply breathe a prayer like this one. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I put all my trust in you, Jesus, to save me. Thank you so much. Or friend, maybe you've done that, but you've gone your own way, living for yourself. Come back. Say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. I give you all my life. Now, Lord God, I thank you for the wonderful family at Wood's Edge. And Lord God, we all want to please you. We all want to be used by you. And Lord God, we are not there yet on any of these five, much less all of these five. But, Lord, give us grace. Help us, Lord God, each one, to please you. Lord, bless these, your people, I pray. Amen.